scripture reading this evening will be taken from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the New King James translation. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. If you decide that you want to help teach the gospel, you'll run into all kinds of people with all kinds of various beliefs that they've picked up through their lives because of where, where they've been raised, because of how they've been raised, because of what they've been taught previously. You'll run into all kinds of people. And it's interesting to notice that even in the book of Acts, you find this same principle to be true. Lots of different people being taught, lots of different people experiencing God's word. Notice if you would, if you think about the book of Acts, a number of different types of audiences. In Acts chapter 24, verse 25, there were indifferent audiences sometimes. Felix was being taught the gospel by Paul and the Bible says as he reasoned with him about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come that Felix trembled and he said, some more convenient day, when I have a more convenient season, I'll call on you. Not today, not gonna obey today. On another occasion, there was a hostile or a rebellious audience. You remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7? When Stephen preached the word of God, the people stopped their ears and they gnashed their teeth and they dragged Stephen out of the city and stoned him until he died. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 and following. A hostile audience. On another occasion, there was a skeptical audience. The Apostle Paul preached to some Roman philosophers, Greek philosophers on Mars Hill. In Acts chapter 17, verse 32, when Paul concluded his lesson, some of the people believed, it says, some of them mocked what Paul had just said, and others said, we will hear you again on this matter. But there were some people who heard the gospel message and were skeptical. I'm not sure I believe that. You really believe those things are, you really believe there's just one God and you really believe that there's only one way to a relationship with him and that's through Jesus? I'm skeptical. And then you find in the book of Acts sometimes receptive audiences. In Acts 2.41 on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says those who gladly received the word were baptized. 
They gladly received God's word. They heard what God said and they were excited about the prospect of having a relationship with God, having forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 verse 38, having a renewed sense of purpose because they belong to Jesus. If you decide to do evangelism, you'll run into a lot of different kinds of audiences. You'll talk to different people with different perspectives and different backgrounds. Every once in a while, every once in a while as an evangelist, you'll find a Cornelius. Just rarely, but every once in a while, you'll find somebody who has already done some prep work and is ready to obey. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you tonight, there has never been an easier Bible study in the sense of having to teach the truth and it being received. There's never been an easier Bible study in all of history than Cornelius. And it was still a hard Bible study because Peter didn't think that it was the right thing to teach him because Cornelius is a Gentile. But there's never been a case where someone was as receptive as what you see in Cornelius's life. And I'd like to ask you the question tonight, are you as receptive to the gospel as Cornelius? Are you ready to listen to God's word? That's an important question because even if you already have obeyed the gospel and even if you're already a New Testament Christian, you need to be reminded of the gospel. You need to hear God's word continually. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us that our faith comes by hearing. It's by the hearing of God's word and by the reading of God's message that we have faith in our hearts. And the relationship of faith and hearing means that we need to be receptive to the word of God. Open your Bibles if you haven't already done so to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. The, uh, Brother Paul read just a few moments ago about Cornelius, this Gentile man who feared God and gave alms and prayed always and how an angel appeared to Cornelius and told him to send to Joppa and call for Peter who was going to come and tell him what he needed to do to be saved. And then God, God got involved in Peter's life and told Peter, you need to go to, Joppa, you need to, go to uh, Caesarea and you need to talk to Cornelius and teach him the gospel. And so, because God arranged this meeting, Peter finally finds his way to where Cornelius is. And they sit down and they get ready for this Bible study. And I want you to notice in Acts chapter 10, verse 33, how this Bible study kind of starts. If you can just imagine sitting around Cornelius' kitchen table and Cornelius' family and maybe some of his friends are there. There's a crowd and Cornelius has got some influence on other people and he's talked to them about this important man, Peter, who's going to come and going to tell them what they need to do. It's a message that comes from God. Listen to what Cornelius says. And wouldn't you love for every Bible study to begin this way? Cornelius says, I have sent for you, Peter, because God told me to. And you have been kind enough to come. I'm glad you're here, Peter. Now, therefore, we are all here. You can just imagine Cornelius and his family and his friends. We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. That's an amazing statement. Before the study even begins, we're here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded, Peter, by the Lord. Give it to us. Give it all to us. We're ready. We're anxious. We want to know what God has to say to us. 
And as you think about what Cornelius believed, it's just fascinating to look at this passage, especially based on his background. Again, this is not a Jewish man. This is a Gentile man. Presumably, he grew up in a pagan culture where they worshiped many gods. And yet, watch what you see about what Cornelius already believed. As a matter of fact, for our study this evening, let's just do that. What did Cornelius already believe? What is it that we can see that he already had some convictions about even before the Bible study began? Never has there been a more receptive audience in my, in my judgment than what you see in Cornelius. Cornelius, what did he already believe? Number one, he already believed that only one God exists. Cornelius believed that. Only one God exists. Again, looking at the passage, here we are in the presence of God. He doesn't say in the presence of the gods. And most of the people that Cornelius probably grew up with believed in the gods, plural. We're here in the presence of God. We want to hear what's been commanded by the Lord, Cornelius says, Acts 10, verse 33. There's only one God, and I'm going to serve him. Back in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, the Bible says that Cornelius was a devout man. He feared God, and he prayed continually to God. He's not reaching out to multiple deities. He's reaching out to the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that does exist, not the ones that don't. In 1 Corinthians 8, verses 5 and 6, the New Testament reminds you and me there's only one God. Although there may be many so-called gods, Paul writes, in heaven and on, or on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many quote-unquote lords, yet for us Christians, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Here is an apostle saying that for us, for people who belong to the one true God, there is only one God. We are monotheistic. And Cornelius, it's fascinating, already was. Not every audience in Acts was monotheistic. Paul and Barnabas on a different occasion went to a place where people tried to offer sacrifices because they thought that Paul was uh, Mercury Her uh, the, and, and, uh, and um, Barnabas was a, a Zeus, one of, the, one of the other gods. They thought that these two men were some of the Greek gods that had come down to earth and they tried to offer sacrifices. And Paul says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, idol worship, to serve the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the first century, it was a, it was a struggle because many of the people that heard the gospel message they were polytheistic. They believed in a lot of gods. And consistently, the New Testament tells us that part of becoming a Christian is that you've got to repent of that belief. You've got to repent of that idea. The idea that there are many different gods that you can worship and that's okay. That's not valid. That's not true. First Thessalonians 1 verse 9, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you. You, talking to a church, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So you have in Cornelius a man who didn't have to be taught there's only one God. He already believed that. What a wonderful thing to be able to say. He was ready to hear the gospel message. Only one God exists and I wanna hear what he has to say to me. Secondly, as you look at Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 33, Cornelius believed that the God of heaven 
is interested in human activity. He cares about you and me. He loves you and me. And yes, he's involved in this world. He's involved in the things that are going on around us. As a matter of fact, sitting around Cornelius' kitchen table, I assume he had a kitchen table. I don't know that for a fact. It doesn't say. But wherever they were sitting, maybe they were sitting on the couch in Cornelius' house, but he says, here we all are in my living room, in my kitchen, and we are in the presence of God, he says. I believe that the one true God is present. I believe that he knows and he hears and he sees what's happening here at this particular study. He's interested in my soul and the souls of these people that have gathered with me. And we want to hear what God has to say to us. Tell us, Peter, teach us. He's interested in human activity. It's amazing to think about how Cornelius thought about God. In Genesis 28, verse 16, even the patriarch Jacob at one point said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Jacob seemed to have kind of a view that sometimes God was around and sometimes he wasn't. But he's always there. He's always present. It's important for you and me to acknowledge that, to believe that. God sees what's happening in my life. He knows and he cares and he loves. And sometimes he rebukes and chastens. He's interested in human activity. You remember Jonah who was told to go to preach to the people of of, uh, Nineveh? And Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. He decided that he wanted to go to a place where he could be away from God's presence. It's impossible to do so. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. Even though you get on a ship and sail to the ends of the earth, you'll never go to a place where God is not there and where God is not able to see and God is not able to help. Cornelius, we're here, we're in the presence of God. He's interested in what's going on in this study. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said it this way, talking about church discipline, but he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. When you decide as a congregation, as believers, that discipline must be exercised because of sin, I'm there, I'm present, I'm with you in those moments, Jesus says. He is a God who's interested in human activity. He cares about you. Cornelius believed these things, and it's fascinating. This is a Bible study that was ripe and ready for the picking. Cornelius was everybody's ideal Bible study. Continuing, what did Cornelius believe? He believed that objective truth exists. He believed that there is a standard of right and wrong, and it's universal. It's for everybody. It's not selective for some people. Some people have to abide by these rules, but other people don't. That's not Cornelius' idea. Cornelius believes that there is such a thing as a universal standard, and it applies to everybody equally. Objective truth. In Acts 10, verse 33, listen to what he says. We've gathered together here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We know that it applies to you, Peter, and other Jews, but we know it applies to us, the Gentiles, as well. It's objective. It is universal. It is a standard by which we will be judged. Objective truth. In our day... Many times in evangelistic studies, 
We have to talk about what's true and what's false. We have to talk about how do you know for a fact that something is true? How can you determine for a fact that there is a standard by which we're going to be measured, by which God is going to evaluate our lives? We have to talk about these things. Didn't have to talk about that with Cornelius and his household. In Matthew 11, verse 15, Jesus warns us. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I've got something to say, Jesus says. And if you've got ears, you need to listen because this is for everybody who has ears, for everybody who's capable of listening. In Mark chapter four, verse 24, Jesus warned, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. Think about the things that you're listening to, the ideas that you're buying into, the things that you believe. Pay attention to what you're hearing because what you're hearing makes an impact on how you live, how you behave, how you talk. There is such a thing as objective truth. In Luke 8, 18, take heed how you hear. Not just what you listen to, but how you listen is important. Here's a man, Cornelius, who believes there is such a thing as objective truth. That's what I'm interested in. That's what I want to hear. And I want to hear all of it, Paul. I want to hear, Peter, everything that God has to say to me. I want to hear it all. Take heed how you hear. Objective truth, it's real and it's objective even now. Next, what does Cornelius believe even before the Bible study starts? He believes in one God. He believes in a God that he needs to listen to because his word is objective truth. He believes that God's interested in his activity. And he also believes that God is sovereign. That's a fancy word. And what it means is he believes that God is the ruler. God's the ruler. He's the one in charge. He is the one in authority. That's what sovereign means. Sovereign means authority, it means a ruler, it means someone who is able to issue commands and those commands need to be obeyed. He's a sovereign God. He's a God who is mighty and majestic. He's a God who has instructed us. And so again, when you look at Acts 10, 33, we have gathered to hear all that you have been and the word he uses is commanded by the Lord. These are not suggestions. They are not good ideas. It's not helpful advice from God through Peter. These are commandments. Cornelius, if you would have forgiveness, if you would have salvation, if you would have a relationship with me that lasts into eternity, this is what I command. It's objective. It is of no respect for persons. Whoever desires can listen to the commands of a sovereign God and can obey them. And Cornelius believed even before the Bible study began, God is sovereign. He's in charge and I'm going to obey him. It's interesting that Cornelius, if you go back to Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Cornelius was a centurion. He was a man of authority. He was a man who was in charge of others. He gave commands. He knew how that worked. And he saw something of that relationship in his own relationship with God. John 14, 15, Jesus, who was meek and mild, who was gentle, Jesus, the one who came to save people from their sins, he still said this, pay attention, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not just my suggestions, not just good advice for how I think you ought to live your life. These are commandments. 
And if you love me, you'll keep them. John puts it a different way in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. Now listen, whoever says, I know God, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If I don't recognize the sovereignty of God, the fact that he is the ruler, the fact that he controls my life and I submit to that and I agree with that and I allow Jesus to be the ruler of my life, if I don't do that, then I'm a liar if I say I know him. It's not true. He's sovereign. What else do you see in Cornelius? Not only is God sovereign, but total obedience is expected. God wants total obedience. Many people, it's been observed, use religion and use the Bible like a cafeteria. And they go down and they look at what they do and they don't want, and I'm gonna leave this, but I'm gonna take this. And I wanna obey this command, but I'm not going to obey that command. And it's like we pick and choose which of God's commandments we want to obey. Cornelius didn't think that way. Cornelius came to the Lord and he said, we have gathered to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We want to hear everything that God has to say to us and we want to do it all. Christianity, discipleship, following Jesus, it is a total self-sacrifice. It involves saying, there is nothing I will withhold from you, God. There is nothing that I will keep back. I want to do all of your will. And it's also recognizing that no matter who we are, we keep that will imperfectly. As we struggle and walk this life, none of us runs a perfect race. But we look to Jesus who did. And we still keep that attitude where we say, I am God's servant. Command, O God, and I will obey Give me your will and I will do it. In every area of my life, in every aspect of my relationships, you are sovereign and I want to obey. That's what Christianity is. Total obedience, total submission to God. Acts 20 verse 27, when Paul was talking to some elders he'd worked with for quite a while, he talked to them about the way that he had taught. And here's what he says. He says, I did not shrink, I did not hold back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Everything God wants you to be and wants you to do, I taught all of it to you. I didn't hold back anything, no doctrine, no point of teaching, no subject that needed to be heard did I withhold from you. Because God desires our total obedience and submission to his will. In Romans 16, 26, at the end of that great book about the gospel and how it changes our lives, now it has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings, it's been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. The reason why God has given us his commandments, the reason why he wrote this book is because he wants us to obey, to submit completely and totally to his will. The obedience of faith. If it's genuine faith, it obeys God. Total obedience is expected. In James 2, verses 10 and 11, James makes this point. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. 
So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. Why? Because God wants you to keep all of his commandments. You say, well, what do I do when I've failed in that endeavor? What do I do when I've struggled and I've not kept all of his commandments? You turn to God, you submit to him, you ask for his forgiveness. And then you keep on walking step by step with Jesus Christ. Total obedience. Next, as you think about Cornelius and the kind of man that he was, again, it's amazing the Bible study that Peter was able to have with Cornelius on this occasion. And it's ironic. Peter didn't want to be there, you know. Not, not so, Lord. I, I, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. I, I'm not going to go to a Gentile and teach him about the gospel. Peter didn't want to be there. And it was the greatest Bible study he maybe ever had. The apostles spoke for God. That's what Cornelius believed. Peter was an apostle. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Peter was selected by Jesus to be one of the 12. Peter was the one that Jesus called Satan, as we learned in our adult Bible class this morning, taught by Larry. Peter was a man who wanted to follow Jesus, and he was selected by Jesus as an apostle. And because he was an apostle, Cornelius could say this, God has sent you, Peter, and we've gathered together to hear all that you, Peter, have been commanded by the Lord. You see, in the first century when Cornelius was alive, he couldn't turn to Colossians because it hadn't been written yet. He couldn't turn to 1 Peter because that hadn't been written yet either. So how did Peter learn, I mean, how did Cornelius learn the gospel? Because he listened to an apostle. The apostles were entrusted by Jesus with the gospel to take to the world and to teach the world the word of God before the word was committed to writing. And Cornelius believed that what the apostles said was God's word. When you and I read the New Testament written by men like Matthew, an apostle, and Peter, an apostle, and Paul, an apostle, when we read the New Testament, we're listening to the apostles too. Those men spoke for God. And they made claims like this. They made claims like, if we teach you something, we're teaching the word of God. Jesus said when he sent out the 70 to evangelize, he said, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. You see the chain? You see the connection there? Jesus is giving his word to some people and he's saying, go teach. And if they reject you, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting me and they're rejecting the one who sent me as well. You reject Peter, you're rejecting Jesus Christ and his father as well. In 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul, the apostle, wrote these words. If anyone in the church there in Corinth, if any one of you thinks that you're a prophet or you think that you're spiritual, you should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command from the Lord. These things come from God. I speak for God, Paul says. These things are his word. You need to acknowledge that if you really think you're spiritual. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, we thank God constantly for this, Paul writes, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, the apostles, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. 
It's interesting to think about. It's not just information, but it's for our transformation. The Bible, the Word of God, is not just to tell us this is what God commands of you, but it's to change the way you live and the way you think. It's at work in you who believe. Those apostles, they really spoke for an almighty and a sovereign God. Cornelius believed all those things before they even started the study. And that's amazing because then all that had to happen was Peter just had to preach this sermon. And here's what he preached. If you look at Acts chapter 10, you might just follow. First of all, Peter said, I see that God is no respecter of persons. Acts 10 verse 34. Jew, Gentile, whoever believes in him is approved by God. Secondly, Peter preached that everyone should believe in Jesus Christ. You ought to accept him. You ought to accept his word. You ought to believe that he is your only hope for salvation. Believe in him, Acts 10, 43. Peter further preached that repentance from sin is essential. God has granted the Gentiles repentance unto life, he later said, Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Peter talked to Cornelius about the things in his life that needed to change. As good a man as he was, as noble as he was, still he needed to repent. And Peter preached about baptism. When he saw the miracles that were being done in Cornelius and his household, he said, can anyone forbid water that these should also be baptized just as we were? Acts chapter 10, verse 48. Cornelius obeyed the gospel. He did those things and he found salvation, the first Gentile convert. You kind of get excited when you run into somebody, you know, that they're ready. They, they want to obey the gospel. I'm here to do all that a sovereign God commands me to do. Just tell me, tell me what he wants me to do. You don't run into that very often, but thank God there are people like that. And as we dedicate ourselves to teaching God's word. Thank God that every once in a while you'll find a Cornelius as well. I hope you, whether you're a Christian or not, I hope you will strive to have a heart like Cornelius. I want to do everything God says. I don't want to hold anything back from him. I want to hear everything that he's got to tell me. I hope you'll have a heart like that. And more than that, I hope you'll obey. If we can help you obey the gospel tonight, heaven's invitation is yours. Won't you make your way forward while we stand and sing?